It's hard to be patient. Isn't it? I mean, it's hard to be patient. And to be patient, you have to wait. Now, when, when Paul is writing about this fruit of the Spirit, this one fruit with nine flavors, one of the flavors is patience, love, joy, peace, patience. 1 Corinthians 13 says God is patient. Now, typically, I really like to see this fruit in other people. Not so much you looking to see it in me. Isn't that the way it is? I mean, you would like other people to have these characteristics. But when you are not exhibiting those characteristics, you just kind of bow up and go, hey, hey, that's just the way I am. I'd like to see it in others, but I really need to see it in me. I need to see these characteristics lived out in my life. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Oh, if we just had faster internet. If the cable would just be fixed. If the tree wouldn't be growing between the signal to direct TV or dish. If we just had this, if we just had that. If we could get this, if we could get that. If they would get my car fixed. If they would call me and tell me when the car is going to be fixed. We're always impatient. And we have to wait. And this world is impatient. I mean, we're impatient with doctors. We're impatient with politicians. We're impatient in church. We're impatient with our families. And the truth be known, we're often impatient with ourselves. And so we start saying a lot of negative things to ourselves. You know, we just say, you dummy. You just can't believe you do. Why? Because we're not patient with ourselves. Paul uses this word patience or long-suffering. It is really made up of two words. It means even-tempered or forbearance. The first word is the word macro, which means long, just like micro means short. Macro, which means long. And thumia, which means temper or explosion. To be long-tempered, not short-tempered. To go a long time before you explode not to be quick to explode, not to have a quick fuse. It is self-restraint, not quick to retaliate. It is the forbearance which endures injuries, the evil deeds without being provoked to anger or revenge. Forbearance which endures injuries and evil deeds without being provoked to anger or revenge. It's the power to see things through and to wait. It is the tenacity with which faith holds out. Another thing about patience is it's a quality we need the most when we are most exhausted. We need to be patient, concentrated strength. Now, the Bible says that God is patient. God is long-suffering. God puts up with a lot. I mean, it, you know, it's like Jerry Clower said years ago. If I were God and he'd give me five minutes to be in charge, I could fix a lot of the stuff he's putting up with. But you're not God, and I'm not God. And God is patient. He is long-suffering. 
Look at this verse in Proverbs 16, 32. It is better to be patient than powerful. It is better to win control of yourself than over whole cities. John Dewey said the most useful virtue in the world is patience. Now, your patience is going to be tested. I just want to give you some practical ways that your patience is tested, and some of you are going to say amen, and some of you are going to hide your head, and some of you, the person sitting next to you, is going to turn and stare right at you. So nobody's going to get out of this alive, all right? We're all going to be hit by this. One of the ways your patience is tested is interruptions. Interruptions. You just sit down to dinner and the phone rings. And of course, in the world we live in, where everybody's got a cell phone, you got to answer it. The phone rings, you got to answer it. No, you don't. It's your phone. You pay the bill. And if it's your kid's phone, you pay the bill. You don't have to answer it. John Bassanio said to me one time, he said, Michael, what do you do when the phone rings and you're eating dinner? I said, well, I answer it. He said, why are you doing that? I said, well, because somebody could be sick. Somebody could be dead. He said, they'll be dead in 30 minutes. He said, it's your phone. You pay the bill. It's your family. It's your meal. You know, you don't have to do everything. Now, some people would tell you you've got to do everything. But if you do everything, then what you're going to end up doing is things that are not important. Because sometimes now the phone rings and you go, oh, it's a local number. Hi, we're giving you your last call to remind you that you can lower your credit rating. I don't have any patience for those people. I want to reach through that phone and grab them by the neck with the love of Jesus and tell them, stop calling my number. Phone rings. Doorbell rings. Just about the time you think, well, I think it's safe to get dressed for bed now. <laughs> Doorbell rings. It's raining. The dog needs to go out one more time before bedtime. And the dog doesn't want to go to the bathroom. The dog wants to get wet, so it brings a wet dog into a dry house so that you have to dry it off, and you're standing under the porch or out there with an umbrella going, could you hurry up? Could you hurry up? Could you please hurry up? You know, there's a pound here. We could take you to the pound. <laughs> the disciples thought children were an interruption. The children came up to Jesus and they said, hey, hey, they, you don't need to be bothering Jesus. Jesus did not see children as an interruption. Sometimes kids will come up to me and, and they'll start hugging me or talking to me and, and the parents will say, I'm sorry. Hey, don't ever apologize for your kids wanting to talk to somebody. Don't do it. Jesus welcomed children and adults ought to welcome children. The alternative is no kids in the church. I would choose the alternative of too many than not enough. How about you? Amen. Interruptions. Inconvenience, delays, and being put on hold. Inconvenience, delays, and being put on hold. Now, with this one, here's one of mine. 
I keep pressing the button on the remote and it doesn't work, which means I know the batteries are dead, but that's going to be an inconvenience for me to go downstairs and find the packet of batteries that I don't remember where I put them. And so I just push harder. Men, push harder. Push it. Stand up out of your seat and point it. It's an inconvenience to go get a battery. You can look at the little thing and then all the bars are red. One more, just the one more time. Just push it. Inconvenience, delays, being put on hold. How about the light changing? You're the second car in the line. You see the light change. The person in front of you, uh, they're taking a trip to Mars somewhere. <laughs> they're trying to find a channel on Sirius Radio. I mean, they're, they're just out in a world somewhere. And it's an inconvenience because you know that that arrow is going to turn yellow quickly and then you're going to miss the light and then you're going to sit there. Now, ladies, I know you never do this. It's just us guys. You're going to sit there and say, in the name of Jesus, get that car out of my way so I can get to where I'm going. And that's usually when you see the blue lights behind you, reminding you that you were impatient and you went speeding by. I had a guy in a truck go by me on uh, Dawson Road the other day, and I was doing about 40, and he must have passed me at 65. And you know what? <laughs> I wanted to roll my window down, but I'm a preacher, and I can't do it. Because <laughs> we ended up side by side at the same light, and I just looked over at him, and I just pointed up to the light. 25 miles an hour faster didn't get you here any quicker, and you're not leaving any quicker than I am. We're both on the same time. Inconvenience, delays being put out. Ah, this reminds me of Mary and Martha, Luke chapter 10. Martha's working in the kitchen. Mary's sitting at the feet of Jesus, and Martha comes to Jesus and says, Don't you care? I've got all this food on the stove. I've got all these preparations to make. And my sister's sitting in here at the feet of Jesus, just listening to Jesus, talking to Jesus. And i got work to do. And Jesus says to her, Martha, Martha, when Jesus calls your name twice, you're in trouble. It's like when your parents used your middle name when they were getting you in out of the yard. Martha, Martha, you are worried about many things. Only one thing is necessary, and Mary has chosen the best part, the choice morsel. Can I tell you something? You're going to forget every meal you've ever eaten. You will not forget what you've learned at the feet of Jesus. Sometimes delays are times when God is trying to teach us something about ourselves and something about himself. Irritations, gnats, and mosquitoes. For those of us in South Georgia, that should get an amen. amen. It never gets cold enough to kill the gnats in South Georgia. I'm just hoping global warming lets the rest of the world know what we've been living with all of our lives. Irritations, gnats, and mosquitoes, and that list is long. You can't find the keys. 
You know where your keys are? Where you put them down. But you can't find the keys. Somebody else is in the bathroom getting ready and you can't get in there. I grew up in a one-bathroom home, and I want to tell you something. When my mother was in there getting ready, my dad and I thought about buying an outhouse. I mean, it was, it was not good. And you're waiting, and you're just knocking. I got to go to school. Can you hurry up? Just a minute. I'll be through in just a minute. Can I just say there's never been a woman who had just a minute ever. <laughs> Ever. <laughs> Waiting on your kids to get ready. Some of you got impatient this morning. Come on, kids, we got to go to church and worship God. Get dressed. Eat your Cheerios. <laughs> Did you do that? <laughs> That was worth the price of the ticket. <laughs> you should put more money in the offering when you leave. <laughs> Moses got irritated after decades in the wilderness with the Israelites. He got frustrated. God told him to speak to the rock, and he struck the rock, and it cost him the promised land. I said, well, why would that cost him the promised land? Because Moses had met with God like nobody else had ever met with God and he knew God better, and he knew better than to do that. Impatience. We just can't wait. We don't wait. We refuse to wait. We hate to wait. Waiting leads to impatience. Have you noticed a new sign in doctor's offices? If you're waiting longer than 15 minutes, please let our front desk know. Which means, if you wait another 15 minutes, please come up and remind us. Which means, if you've been here two hours, please be patient. There are other people ahead of you. We've had to put signs up in doctor's office. What do you do? What's a doctor's office? It's a waiting room. It's a waiting room. Now we have to put signs up that say, hey, we know you're waiting, and you're waiting because you haven't seen the doctor yet. We get it, you get it, everybody gets it. Waiting is hard for us. We don't like to wait in the bank. Listen, I, you know this, whichever line you choose in the drive-thru, that, that person has 15 deposits, and they want everything in nickels back. <laughs> And they don't want them rolled. They want them counted out. You realize you'll spend six months of your life at traffic lights? Six months of your life sitting in a traffic light. You want to know why waiting is such a problem? Just watch people getting on an elevator. There's a button on the other side. 
Man, we, last time in Israel, time for last in Israel, we stayed at this hotel, and it was glorious. I mean, it was glorious. You could just go say, I'm staying on the fourth floor, and you push the elevator, and it'd say A, B, C, or D. And whichever one it told you to go to, you went there, and you went straight to the fourth floor. You didn't stop at one, two, or three. You went to the fourth floor, and then it went right back down. And I always have to tell people when they go to Israel, if we're there on the Sabbath, don't take the Sabbath elevator. Because for the Orthodox Jews, they can't work on the Sabbath. And so they go to the Sabbath elevator and they wait for the elevator to open. And then the elevator stops at every floor going up and going down so that they never have to exert the energy to push a button on the Sabbath elevator. Just get on a Sabbath elevator sometimes that goes to the 12th floor and watch it go down when you're trying to get to dinner. But we push buttons. We just fidget. Why? Because we hate to wait because we're impatient. Proverbs 19.2 says, impatience will get you into trouble. I love this quote. Patience is a virtue. Possess it if you can. Seldom found in woman and never found in man. It's not in the Bible, but it ought to be there. You see, you don't have to be long-suffering until you have been long-bothered. So, I, I, you know, I want to be long-suffering. Well, you're going to have to be long-bothered to be long-suffering. One author said, patience has two basic expressions. First, that we use self-restraint in the face of provocation and do not retaliate instantly. Second, patience means we don't surrender to circumstances. So we don't give in to anger. We don't give in to discouragement. We don't let interruptions and inconveniences and, and irritations ruin our lives and ruin our days because God is patient and he's told us about his patience. First Timothy 1.16, but for that very reason I was shown mercy so that in me the worst of sinners Jesus Christ might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. God doesn't quit on us. What Paul is saying is, look, I'm the last person anybody ever thought would come to Jesus. And God chose me, the chief of sinners, as an example of his unlimited patience. I was persecuting the church. I was there at the stoning of Stephen. I had letters in my hand to destroy Christianity in every way that I could. And God reached down and saved me and changed my life. Paul is saying, you don't ever quit praying. You don't ever quit believing. You don't ever quit trusting that God can change a human heart. God was patient with Paul. By the way, he was patient with you. Some of you were saved when you were kids. Some of you were saved when you were adults. Some of you were saved, you were pretty much a knucklehead. But God was patient until the time came in your life when you realized that you needed a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, that you needed what he had that you didn't have. 
that you needed his forgiveness and his grace and his love and his mercy and his kindness and he gave it to you and you received it and God gave it to you not because you deserved it but because you needed it. God's patience. Patience demands surrender. Now we can fake being patient. We can be smiling when we're seething inside. But patience demands surrender. Patience is not blind resignation to unavoidable facts. It's not fatalism that accepts defeat rather than hope. Patience is quiet confidence in God. Now turn to the book of James if you would. Over toward the end of your Bible, turn to the book of James chapter 5. Now we know what James says about patience in chapter 1, that trials and trouble produce patience. And so be careful when you're praying for patience because you're going to get trials and trouble, but that, after all, that's how patience comes. It comes when we learn to trust God in hard times. James 5, in verse 7, I want you to see three times in verses 7 and 8, this word patient shows up. Therefore, be patient, brethren. First time. How long? How long have I got to be patient? Until the coming of the Lord. That's a long time. Well, be patient then until the Lord comes. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until, patience until again, until it gets the early and latter rains. You too be patient, strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. Now, he uses an illustration of a farmer. And for a farmer, the produce is precious. But he plants and he waters and he waits and he watches. And one day he reaps and produces a harvest. It's the result of his toil, but also of his waiting. When we were in seminary, they had this little garden. And uh, some guys, we had guys from Kansas and Iowa. And, and there was a guy from Texas that I knew really well. And he decided he wanted to show the guys that were farmers that he knew how to farm. So he went out and had a guy help him because he wanted to plant some potatoes. He wanted some Potatoes out of the garden. He figured he could do that. Every day, he went to the garden and started digging the dirt up, looking for the potatoes. Finally, one of the farmers said, you know, you're never going to get a potato that way. If you keep disturbing the soil and keep trying to dig up, it's going to be there, but you've got to wait for it. Well, how long is it going to be ready next week? Not going to be ready next week. And he got frustrated because he thought, do what the farmer says, get ready, till the soil, put the fertilizer in, do whatever I got to do, and next week I'm going to have potatoes this big. Not going to happen. It takes time. The farmer waits because he knows what he's waiting for. We wait because we know who we're waiting for. We're waiting for the coming of the Lord. 
whether we see him in this life as he comes in a second coming or whether we see him when we pass from this life into the next life, we wait for the Lord. And so we are to be patient because God has got us here means he's not finished with us. So we need to be patient with him. The Christian life's a lot like farming. You have to wait and let God do his work. Do what you're supposed to do, but at the same time, let God do what he does. And God does the pruning, and God does the nursing, and, and God does the fixing and the, and the moving around in our lives. And God brings the situations and the circumstances in our lives. He's the God that brings the rain. He's the God that withholds the rain. God does all of that so that we can learn that in a spiritual sense, we are farmers. We are to cultivate the fruit of the Spirit in our life until we see it manifested in us and others see it manifested in us. Now, every one of us goes through seasons, just like there are seasons to plant certain things. Sometimes some seasons are harder than others. Sometimes we go through seasons when our hearts are cold and God needs to till the soil of our heart and stir it up and feed it with his presence and with his spirit and with his word so that he begins to reignite the fire in our hearts. When people say to me, you know, I just don't feel close to the Lord right now. The first question I'll always ask is, how much time are you spending in the word? How much time are you spending in prayer? Because if you're not feeding yourself by the word of God, and the word is called bread, it's called water, it's called meat, it's called honey, it's called milk. I mean, it's a healthy diet. You, you have to spend time in the word to be fed, to come out of the cold seasons in your heart. Sometimes storms come, and those storms drive us to trust the Lord. They drive us to him so that we can watch God cultivate in us what he can only cultivate in storms. Now, if you think you're going to get through life without a storm or storms, you've been listening to the wrong preachers and you've not been reading your Bible. The disciples went through it. Every one of the disciples except John were martyred John was exiled for most of his life. Christians are being persecuted all around the world. There will be three to 5,000 Christians that will be killed today for their faith. If you think that somehow being in America makes you immune from storms, I would advise you to change the channel or the podcast that you're listening to because somebody is lying like a dog to you. And it's easy to preach that kind of gospel when you've made them and their net worth $185 million. They can say whatever they want to say because they've got suckers listening to them that think if I send them money, I'm going to have that life too. You're not, and they're not. They're going to have problems too. They may never tell you that they've had problems. They may never tell you about the storms that they're going through, but they are, and they will. And so we are to be rooted and grounded in Christ so that we can yield our fruit 
in our season. You see, patience is not passivity. Well, I'm just going to sit here and let the Lord do whatever he wants to do. No, it's cooperating with God. It is long-suffering. It is cooperating with what God is trying to say to us and what God is trying to teach us. Here's something to hang your hat on. True patience is the calm assurance that God is running the show. True patience is the calm assurance that God is running the show, that God's in charge, that this world is not spinning out of control, that God is sovereign. He knows what's going on. He knows where you are. He knows what you're going through. He knows your needs, your hurt, your pain. He knows it all, and he's running the show. You may say, well, I don't like the way he's running it. Well, you live in a fallen world. And I live in a fallen world. And sin causes problems. The sin of this world. And the devil, one of his greatest tools, is impatience. In fact, I think it is the parent of every bad attitude. Impatience is the parent of every bad attitude. Here's what I mean. Impatience will destroy relationships. Impatience can ruin our witness Impatience can make tough situations worse. Impatience will make your life ultimately look like you're ticked off at God, although you won't admit it. Impatience will make you make rash decisions. It will cause you to quit serving God because you think, after all I've done for God, how could he let me go through this or have to experience that or be in this relationship? Impatience can lead you to just give up on God, on family, on life. You realize God's been patient since the Garden of Eden? God commands it because it's his character. Now, if, if we had been God, I'll tell you what we would have done. We'd have given up when Adam and Eve blew it. If we'd have been God, we'd say, that's it. You know, I do all this, I create the world, I finally put two people in a perfect environment, they have perfect fellowship with me, and the first thing they do is find an apple on sale. That's it, I'm through. How about Abraham? Hey, Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. Abraham says, I'm not patient, I'm not going to wait. Sarah says, I'm not going to have a baby when I'm 90 years old, you're out of your mind. I'm not doing that. And so Sarah suggests that he have a relationship with another woman to have a baby, and that would be the way that God would fulfill his promise. And we've been living with the results of that ever since. I'd have given up. I'd have given up on Abraham. I would, there would have never been the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and the people of Israel. I'd have just said, that's through. I would have quit if I were God when Israel got to the edge of the promised land and said, nope, there are giants there, we're not going, we're just going to stay out here and eat manna. I would have quit. I would have given up when a man after God's own heart was supposed to be in battle, is on his deck, and he looks out and he sees Bathsheba, and he has a relationship with her and sins against God, I would have given up there. I would have given up when the people abandoned the sacrifices, and they started worshiping false idols. I would have given up when Peter denied Jesus. I mean, after all, if the leader 
of the disciples denies Jesus, what hope is there for anybody else? I would have quit when John Mark quit on the first missionary journey, got homesick for mama and left on the first missionary journey and, and just took off. I would have quit. God doesn't look at isolated moments. He looks at a lifetime. And he's patient for a lifetime. 2 Peter 3 and verse 8. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Colossians 3.12 So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another, forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against you, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. I grew up in the 60s and Music changed a lot in the 60s. My dad couldn't understand why I didn't want to listen to the Billy Vaughn Orchestra. He couldn't understand why I didn't want to watch Lawrence Welk and the Champagne Lady. <laughs> he couldn't understand why I didn't want to listen to Gentleman Jim Reeves. He couldn't understand why I wanted to listen to the Beatles and Three Dog Night, and Simon and Garfunkel, and the Turtles, and a lot of other weird name groups. Better than Def Leppard, I might add, but uh, Simon and Garfunkel wrote a song called The Boxer. It's about this kid that goes to New York with a dream, but life sucks everything out of him. And he's running scared, he's laying low, seeking out the poorer quarters, where the ragged people go, looking for the places only they would know. But he encounters a boxer, and they wrote these words, in the clearing stands a boxer and a fighter by his trade, and he carries the reminders of every glove that laid him down and cut him till he cried out in his anger and his shame, I am leaving, I am leaving, but the fighter still remains. Patience is fighting for what's right when you want to quit. Patience is standing up for the eighth time when you've been knocked down seven. Patience is not quitting when you want to quit. Patience is not running when you want to run. Patience is not cursing God when you want to curse him and die. Patience is seeing that God has a plan and a purpose 
for your life. And that as long as he gives you breath, let the world look at you and say, in the clearing stands a fighter. And the fighter still remains. To the day he calls you home, fight the battle, run the race, be patient. When you think God is through with you, it may be the point where he's about to do the greatest work in you and through you. Let's stand together, heads bowed and eyes closed. There's somebody here today and God has patiently waited for this day. For this day for you to trust Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. For this day for you to give your heart to Jesus. For you to recognize that you can't save yourself. That your works won't save you. Your good deeds, your baptism, your church membership. Only by a relationship with Christ can you be saved. Men are going to be down here at the front. And, and as we begin to play in just a moment, then I want to invite you to trust Jesus today as your Lord and Savior. God has patiently waited. People have patiently prayed for you that you would know Christ and know his grace and his goodness and his forgiveness. And while some of you need to come to be saved, some of you need to come to this altar today and just say, Lord, I'm ready to quit. I'm ready to give up. I'm just tired. I'm just weary. I'm worn out. I'm not sure you see, and I'm not sure you know, and I'm not sure you care. But today I come to a patient father who patiently waits for his children. And I come before you to say, Lord, be patient with me and give me the patience that I need with other people. So as they play and as they sing, you step out and you come and respond to the Lord right now, would you?